Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. speaking tonight back in December and in December when he told me I would be speaking tonight my heart started racing like what five months in advance um anytime I speak my heart rate I can be fine and then I know it's getting closer I know it's getting closer and I know it's getting closer and right now we are at 122 beats a minute um it will not come down until I get to sit down and hand this back over to Angie but in front of kids You could fill this room with kids, and I am in my wheelhouse. I already know that there's a row of my people right up there. So I know when I get nervous, y'all are going to see me look right up there because that's where my people, my people are scattered throughout. That's where I'm comfortable, and I get so nervous anytime I am talking to adults in big church. So every time Jason will lean over, inevitably, and he will say, hey, you're okay. This is what you're called to do. And I'm like, if you say so. (laughs) And then I grit my teeth and I hop up here. But he has to remind me, this is what you're called to do. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, I want to start really quickly with a verse. And 2 Timothy 1.9 says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, I don't know about y'all, but I sure didn't deserve it. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. So let's take a minute and let's pray before we dive in um, for God to open our hearts to his word and what he would have to speak to us tonight. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this day, God. I thank you that you give us the opportunity to come together, God, that you give us the opportunity to worship you and then just to dive a little deeper into your word. I ask that you would take away any distractions, God, that you would let us focus in on you and take my words and make them yours. God, move me out of the way for what you would want to speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So tonight we're going to spend a little bit of time. I promise it will not be a lot of time. Um, I'm used to talking to kids, so I have a seven-minute window with kids to keep their attention span. So, but with tonight's service, we're going to look at the verse we just read through the life of one of my very favorite disciples. I don't know about you guys, but I love to read about the disciple Peter. I see myself in him more than once. I have been accused, accurately accused, of being a little stubborn. Maybe, thank you, Miss Brenda. He's going to call me guilty. But maybe, maybe I'm a little stubborn. Maybe I'm a little strong-willed. Maybe there are times that I throw my opinion out whenever it's not needed, occasionally, or I put my foot in my mouth. But so did Peter. Peter gives me hope. And I can't be the only person in the room that's a little bit thankful that God used somebody like Peter. That one of his 12 closest friends was a little bit of a loudmouth who didn't always think before he spoke. Because Brandy can say, oh, she disappeared. Brandy can say how sweet and how humble But I also am a little bit of a loud mouth, and I don't know when to keep my mouth shut. But Jesus used Peter so he can use me. So I see myself, like I said, over and over and over through Peter's life. 
But more than that, I see through the story of Peter how Jesus corrected him, how he taught him, how he restored him, and how even though Peter messed up, God didn't throw away his calling. So Peter gives me hope. And we're going to jump right into the story in Luke 5. So if you remember the story of Luke 5, Jesus is preaching on the shore of Galilee. And there are all these crowds, and he sees an empty boat. So Luke 5, 3 through 6 says, Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And at this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Most of us know how the story keeps going. The four fishermen bring in a huge haul of fish, and soon they are the first to be called fishers of men. Luke 5.10, Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And I don't know about you guys, but if somebody came up to me and said, You're going to be fishing for people. My brain is literal. And I'm going to be real confused as to how we're going to fish for people. They knew how to fish for fish, But this man comes along, starts teaching, and says, you're going to be fishing for people. So I wonder what went through their minds when they heard that phrase, fishers of men. There was no way they could fully understand what the next three years would hold, but they knew they had to follow this man who could even control the fish in the Sea of Galilee. They had no idea what what was coming their way. They had no idea of the miracles they would see People raised from the dead, multitudes fed. But there was something about this man that he said, follow me. And they said, we're going to leave everything. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. God knew what he was calling him to. The disciples knew they were, they were just going to go where Jesus led. They didn't know where they were going to be going, but they had the faith to say, they're calling me, I'm going to follow. So my first point is this. Remember the moment when you were saved and when you were called. If you think back in your life, you can probably remember that very first moment that you felt Jesus tug at your heart. You may have been in a Sunday school class. Maybe you were in a kids' church service. Maybe you were at a youth camp, at a youth rally. Maybe you were driving down the road. When you drive down 280, you really need Jesus. But maybe just think back to where you were. I can tell you I was sitting on the front row at my Aunt Donnie's church. It's Warrior Assembly of God. I was sitting on the very front row, and my mom was teaching. My mom was always my kids' pastor until I was like 12. But she was teaching about Jesus and how this man loved me. He loved me enough to die on the cross. I grew up in church. I don't remember a time when I didn't know who Jesus was, but there was something about that time. And she said, if you want to ask Jesus in your heart, raise your hand. And I just remember sitting there, and I was like, please, please, I want Jesus in my heart. That was the first time I really knew 
that Jesus loved me. But regardless of the age you were, whether you were five, whether you were 25, whether you were 55, regardless, there was a pivotal moment in your life where you knew that something had just changed. Your life didn't belong to you anymore. It belonged to the one who had called your name. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has come. To take a step away from Peter, we just learned this verse in Revival Kids, and we talked to the kids about the life of Paul. When you look at the life of Paul, Saul was making terrible choices. Saul was persecuting Christians, but then Jesus met him, and he was a completely different person. That old life was completely gone, and he had started a completely new life. And then if we look back at the story of Peter, Luke 5.11 says, As soon as they landed, the disciples left everything to follow Jesus. They had a huge haul of fish. They left that behind. They left families behind. They just knew they had to follow. There was zero hesitation, and they responded to that call with passion and didn't hesitate to leave everything behind. And I feel confident that a lot of us in this room have felt that passion. You first get saved, and you're like, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to tell every person that I know. I'm going to tell the person at the gas station. I'm going to tell the person at work. I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. And in Romans 11, I'm sorry, Romans 12, 11, Paul says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The Greek word for zeal in that verse means diligence, earnestness, or enthusiasm. So if we go back and we read it again, it says never be lacking in diligence, earnestness, or enthusiasm. Don't ever let that flame go out. But that's not the easiest thing to do. When I was a teenager, I counted the days every summer for youth camp. We went to youth camp from the time I was 12 until the year we got married when I was 19. And every single year, I counted the days. As soon as school was out, I was like, okay, 20 days. 20 days. It's only 19 days. Like I would make my mom and stepdad, I would beg for them to come home from beach vacations because I wanted to go to youth camp. There was just something about that excitement, that expectancy that you knew as soon as you got there, things were going to start happening. Part of it was the freedom. I'm an only child. Part of it was the freedom. I feel like this is my whole week to like whatever I wanted to do, Miss Brenda. Oh, that whole camp was open to me. It was the greatest freedom. But then I also knew as soon as chapel services started, something was going to happen. We weren't going to leave without meeting with God. That's what I looked forward to every single year. And we would. I could take you to spots in the carpet at Spring Bowl where I was like, I was right here when this happened. I was right here when this happened. And we get so excited. But the thing is, and I know there's some kids in the room who have been to kids camp, and we get so excited about the things God did. But do we continue that spiritual fervor when we come home? Because with zero hesitation, I can tell you, I wanted to tell everybody I knew what had happened at uh, summer camp. Whenever we get home or before we get home, I'm texting Brandy. You will never guess what happened at camp. We're so excited and we want to tell everybody. But when I would go to youth camp, I'd be really excited. I'm going to read my Bible every single day. I'm going to tell everybody for about two weeks. 
And then life kicks back in. And that excitement starts to dwindle. And when you look at the Greek word um, where it says spiritual fervor, it compares our spirit to something that is boiling. Boiling water is actively moving. When you get ready to make macaroni, the noodle, the water has to boil. There has to be the bubbles. If there's no bubbles, it's just going to sit there. Right. Oh, it's going to be gross. So, but it's got to be going. But what happens to that water as soon as you take it off the heat? It stops boiling. Does it stop right away? No, it's still hot. If you don't believe me, go home, boil some water, and stick your hand in it after you take it off. It's still going to be hot. Probably not a great idea. But it gradually is going to lose that heat. It's gradually going to stop bubbling. And that happens with us, or at least it's happened with me. So my question is, what happens to our spiritual zeal when we stop pursuing Jesus? Our passion starts to grow cold, but does Jesus ever leave us? No, not for a second, but we are the ones that stop pursuing him. So let's circle back to Peter's life. So he lives three years with Jesus. He sees Jesus down the cross. He sees him put into a grave. He sees him after he's risen from the dead. So he knows the person who has believed, he's believed in. But let's go in John 21. So you're going to the very end of what we hear about Peter's life. And Jesus has risen from the dead. They've just seen him. Doubting Thomas has put his hand in the scars. And then we see Peter going right back to what he knew. He's seen all these miracles. He's heard the call of Jesus. And he goes right back to what he was doing before. And my second point is this. No matter where we are, God will remind us of our calling. He's going to remind us of that call that he put, he put on our lives. We read this and we see it says, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. And before we judge the disciples for going back to their fishing, I've been guilty of the same thing in my own life. Like I said, I've been excited about my calling for a few weeks and then life hits. And then I ease back into the comfort of what I knew before. Before accepting the job here, um, Jason and I had probably known for about two years that there was something more that God was going to put in our life to do. We just felt that unease. You felt it, that stretching of, there's something else. I just don't know what it is. That I know this isn't where I'm supposed to be, but I don't know where I'm supposed to go. The... I know you've called me to do something, and I'm willing to do what you've called me to do, but I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And we kind of felt that, and we kept saying, God, whatever it is you want us to do, here we are. Just tell us what it is. And we would get so excited, I would be praying so hard, but then I would get comfortable again. Instead of continuing to seek God, I'd be like, you know what? I've got a corporate job. I'm fine. I'm making a good amount, I'm comfortable, I come in and clock out, clock in and out, it's fine, everything's fine, we just get comfortable, we got comfortable serving in the position we were serving in, because we knew, hey, this is what we're going to do, we're going to clock in and clock out, basically, and this is what we're going to do, we got comfortable with the friends we were in, there was nothing wrong with what we were doing, we just got comfortable, and that's what we do sometimes in our life, we just get comfortable, and instead of pursuing God, we Go back to what we know, what we previously knew. 
Am I the only one that's done that? Has anybody else done that? Where you just kind of circle back to, I know you want me to do more, but I don't know what it is, so I'm going to do what's comfortable. So John 21, 3, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Just like in Luke 5, they had fished all night and they caught nothing until Jesus steps in the, into the picture. They work all night long. They do everything they know to do. Nothing happens. And here comes Jesus. In John 21, 6, Jesus issues a familiar request. He's on the shore and he says, hey, hey, friends, why don't you cast your net on the other side? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder how many of the seven disciples in the boat started to think back to that night that Jesus first called Peter and John. They're in their boat. It says they're about 100 yards from the shore. They've been fishing all night long, and a random stranger says, hey, 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 I know you've been doing what you know to do, but why don't you throw your net on the other side? Like they hadn't thought of throwing their net on the other side after they've been out there for hours. I would have been the one who would have said, We've already done that about five times. I don't know why it's going to make a difference because we've already done it five times. But they throw their nets on the other side, and immediately the net is filled with fish. It's not just filled with two or three fish. It's filled with 153 fish. So they pile into the nets, and the disciples quickly realize who it is. This is not some random stranger. This is Jesus on the shore. And to us, the catch of 153 fish might seem insignificant when we look at other miracles. He fed 5,000. He raised people from the dead. He turned water to wine. But to a fisherman who has fished an entire night and caught nothing, and suddenly his nets are full of 153 fish, this was just another proof to them that their faith was where it needed to be. Their faith was in Jesus, the one who could control anything and who could be with them. So look at Peter's reaction. He doesn't hesitate again. He doesn't wait for Jesus to call him to the shore. It's not like whenever Jesus walked to the boat, he walked on water. And he said, if it's you, call me. No, Peter grabs his tunic and jumps in the water. He rushes back to the feet of one, the one he had denied only a few days before. And if the altar team would come, this brings me to my last point. We serve a Savior who welcomes us back to him with wide open arms. Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was three separate times. And what does Jesus do when Peter comes back to him? He reaffirms him three times. You can't tell me that Peter didn't notice. Hey, I denied you three times. I'm at your feet. And three times you ask me, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Shepherd my, my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. I can't imagine how that could possibly be lost on him or anybody else who was around. How heavy do you think that betrayal had weighed on Peter? I mean, he had betrayed one of his best friends. He said, I don't even know that man. He went so far as to curse, to say, I don't know him. I have no idea who that is. But then there's Jesus in a short series of questions reminding him of his calling. He was a fisher of men. Peter would go on to feed the sheep. Peter was the one who had originally said when Jesus said, 
who do men say I am? And the other disciples are saying, but then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter was the one who spoke up, the one who was full of opinions, who just said what he thought. And he said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's who Jesus was reminding him. Hey, yeah, you denied me, but when I say, do you love me? He says, of course, Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Of course I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? The third time. And it says, Peter's soul was grieved. Feed my sheep. Jesus hadn't thrown away the calling on Peter's life because of his denial. He didn't say, oh, okay, that was one thing too many. Can't believe you denied me three times. Well, we're just going to we're just going to be done with that calling and I'm going to find somebody else. No, instead of that, Jesus welcomed him back. How amazing is it that we serve a loving and forgiving Father? 1 Thessalonians 5:24 says, "God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful." Take a deep breath and let it out. If you're still breathing, God has a call on your life. 2 Timothy 1.5, we're going to visit that one more time. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. God saved us and called us to live a holy life. Your calling won't look like mine, and mine won't look like yours. He's called us to the people that he puts directly in our path. Maybe that path takes you to a corporate office every day. Maybe that class or maybe that call takes you to a classroom. Maybe that call takes you to the children in your own home or to the people at the grocery store or to that family member who you've been praying for for years and years and years and you don't see a difference. But your calling is to pray for that one. Everyone's calling looks different. But the goal of every one of our callings is exactly the same. To know God and to make him known wherever it is he put you. Whether you're in a junior high or a high school. Whether you are a mom raising up the next generation. Whatever your calling looks like. That's where God put you and he put you there for a reason. But so many of us listen to those lies that the enemy loves to whisper in our ears. The, God's given up on you. You've gone one step too far. He couldn't use somebody like you. He would never call you. People aren't going to listen to you. All those lies that you hear him chirping in your mind. But that doesn't line up with 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we've confessed our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're still breathing, he's still got a call on you. So tonight I want to invite you to these altars. Whether you are like Peter and you feel God tug on your heart for the very first time. Whether you need to be reminded of his calling in your life. Because if you're breathing, there's a calling. Or whether you need to return to that loving Savior who's waiting just for you. He's here. And I want to challenge you to take a cue from Peter's life and don't wait. 
If you feel him tug on your heart, don't wait. The boat was 100 yards to shore. Peter could have been to shore in 10 minutes, but he couldn't wait that 10 minutes. He realized it was Jesus that was calling him, and he said, I've got to get to him as fast as I can, and he dove headlong into the water. So take a cue from him. I'm going to move out of these way, out of the way, but the altars are open for you. If you feel God speaking to you at all, I would love for you to join me. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenterag.com.